The Haunted UK podcast is produced and released in stereo. Listening through an environment such as headphones or stereo speakers will ensure that you get the best experience. If you love the Haunted UK podcast and you'd like to help keep the lights burning, the wheels turning and the stories rolling, then why not consider getting over to coffee and donating to the show? That's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast. You can sign up to donate just £3 per month, the price of a coffee, or as much as you like. If you'd prefer not to subscribe, then any donation to the show will be greatly appreciated. You'll even get a shout-out in an episode of the main show. So that's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast to donate. Thank you. And here are the names of some amazing people who have donated to the show recently. They are Nina Mahaffey, Dorothy Ross McIlver, Joanne Scargill, Ibrahim Patel, and last but not least, Carolyn Jarvis. As well as coffee, you can also follow the Haunted UK podcast on Instagram, Twitter at Haunted UK Pod, and on YouTube. And we have a website coming very soon, so stay tuned for announcements. Do you love ghost stories? Tales of haunted houses and poltergeist encounters? What about other areas of the paranormal, such as strange creatures, doppelgangers, time slips and even creepy unexplained disappearances? If you do, then you're in the right place. And these are the topics which we'll be visiting every two weeks throughout the many future episodes and seasons of this show. And just to ensure that you get the best experience, there will be no advertisements throughout the main content of this episode. But please stick around to the end of the show, where you'll hear a small promo from one of the many great podcasts out there, which I know you'll want to check out. The script for this episode was kindly proofread and edited by Marie Waller. For more details about this service, email Marie at mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. That's mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. This email address will also be in the show notes. Now, without any further delay, let's get this episode started. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. My lungs collapsed and I required an emergency tracheostomy and multiple surgeries. A number of times my heart stopped for minutes at a time. In one particular incident, I was rushed into emergency surgery. My poor mother asked the surgeon if I would survive. As the surgeon took me from my mother, he said, put her son into my hands and into the hands of fate. During this surgery, I was about to be pronounced dead before the doctors managed to resuscitate me. On recovery, I grew healthy and strong. 
Fast forward to my travels, though, and the strange events start to become apparent. This is episode 40, part 4 of the Haunted UK Podcast's Listener Stories, and it's once again time to be amazed and frightened by your stories. As usual, the response from all of you fantastic listeners has been phenomenal. So many stories, so many experiences, so many elements of the paranormal, and all brilliant. A huge thank you to each and every single one of you who have taken the time out to type your stories up and send them into the show. It's massively appreciated. So without any further delay, let's kick this episode off by crossing the Irish Sea and the threshold of an old school, where our listener witnessed terror in its purest form. When I was 12, I went to a boarding school in Newbridge, County Kildare. The school was run by Dominican friars and had all the disconcerting features typical of an old building. Rooms were cold with high ceilings and rattling windows. Religious iconography proliferated the corridors, and from the shadows a palpable eeriness emanated like an invisible fog. A dark and intimidating forest surrounded the western side of the school, and once lights went out at night, a sense of unease crept through the dormitory, as the fears conjured up by young minds alone and far from home imagined strange unseen horrors. While that might be somewhat fanciful, what follows is the unvarnished truth. One evening in October of my first year, I was hanging out with a few peers during a break from study. It was about 8pm and we were in a corridor which contained the classrooms where we studied. At the end of the corridor was the office of Father Murphy, the chaplain. I don't recall what my classmates and I were talking about, but suddenly Father Murphy appeared from his office and told us to sternly leave the corridor and go somewhere else. His manner was urgent and out of character. Something in his tone and facial expression told us that he was deadly serious and there was no time to waste. As we exited the corridor, a young man, perhaps in his early twenties and an older woman, walked by us and were met by Father Murphy. 
There were no words exchanged. Instead, he took them down the corridor to his office. About 30 seconds later, another priest, Father Kelly, appeared and went hastily to Father Murphy's office. That was the last we saw of the event, but something about it stayed with me for almost 40 years. When the younger man walked by us, he glanced our way, and in that instant, I saw a face that I can only describe as choked with terror. Terror is the only word I have to describe it, but it doesn't do it justice. His face was drained of colour, as if something had stolen his soul. His eyes were wide but remote. It chilled me. It chilled all of us. We looked at one another in shared bewilderment, unable to articulate what we'd just seen. Days later, a rumour began to circulate that the young man had been brought to Father Murphy by his mother to be blessed. As the story went, the young man had seen a banshee. To this day, I am utterly convinced that this is exactly what he saw. Ghosts and stories of the paranormal have fascinated me my whole life, and though I don't write in the horror genre, ghosts often feature in my stories. Once again, thanks for the opportunity to tell you these tales. Usually when I tell them, people take them with a pinch of salt. But they did happen, and it's nice to find a person who's receptive to them. Rob What a chilling tale, I'm sure you'll all agree. Our next story is from Georgina from Birmingham, and she writes, Hello. I note you were asking for listeners to add to your season finale episodes. I hope my experiences will be of interest, but understand if they aren't. I have had many experiences growing up with the paranormal. When I was very small, I had the experience of someone sitting on my bed during the night and me not being able to move my feet. This happened sporadically to both me and my younger sister, right up to our teens. My sister was brave enough to open her eyes once and saw a person outlined in a shimmery blue light. She couldn't make anything out other than it was the shape of a person. She soon ducked under the covers and wouldn't look again. She was obviously much braver than me. When I was about ten, I was being a bit naughty and got out of bed to play with my toys on the bedroom floor. My bedroom light was off but the hall or landing light was on. I'm not sure what time it was, but I certainly should have been asleep. Whilst playing, I looked up and saw a solid yet shadowy figure in the doorway. From the size and shape, I assumed it was my mom. Through fear of being told off, I jumped quickly into bed and pulled my covers up. No noise was made, and I thought that was odd as mom would surely have shouted at me. In the morning, I said to my mum, You scared me last night when you came into my room. I thought you were a monster. That was when I was told that my mum hadn't come into my room, and she didn't know what I was talking about. During a psychic reading a good number of years later, I was told that my grandmother had come through. She died aged 29 in 1939, when my mother was just nine years old. My grandmother apologised for scaring us, 
and just wanted to sit on our beds and make sure we were okay. I felt comforted by this, but it didn't stop me feeling scared when I was little. I very occasionally have someone sit on my bed now, but I just either ignore them or say hello. Another experience of note is when my mum had passed away in 2016. I was getting ready to go with my family to register her death, and emotions were obviously high as you are never ready to lose your mother, no matter how old you are. I was in the bathroom with the door open, just brushing my hair in the mirror. I then saw, in the reflection, my mom walk across my landing into my son's bedroom. I instantly felt comforted and shouted out, Hello, Mum! I have also had premonition dreams, but these seemed to be me actually living out the event as it was happening. One was a few years ago when we were having trouble with rats in the garden. They were trying to get into the house. They'd been uprooted by some major building works being undertaken locally and were obviously trying to find a new place to nest. I dreamt that there was a rat in the dustbin in the back garden who couldn't get out and was panicking. I sleep at the front of the house, and the dustbin was at the bottom of the garden. On checking in the morning, there was a dead rat in the bin. The second dream happened in 2011. I had a vivid dream that I was trying to get up a mountain and was screaming at my family to hurry up, as the water was coming and we needed to get to high ground. I woke up disturbed by this as it was so real. On checking the news that morning, I discovered that Japan had suffered the awful reality of a tsunami hitting their shores. I was a bit freaked out by that one. Keep up the good work. Love your podcast. Georgina We now hear from a collection of accounts from Simon Aspinall. Let's go back to when Simon was just seven years old, where his fascinating and often jaw-dropping experiences with the supernatural first begin to materialise, with terrifying clarity. My name is Simon, and I live in Norfolk. Over the years I have lived in houses at least a hundred years old, and have experienced several odd and what I think are paranormal experiences. I'm very open-minded, and follow pagan heathen beliefs. The first experience. I was about seven when I was living in a terraced house, which was about 110 years old. At night, in my back bedroom, I would wake frequently. The room would be freezing cold, like someone had left the window fully open on a frosty December night, even in the summer and the air would be permeated with this dense smell of pipe smoke. Sitting up in this, trying to make sense of the room and shivering, I would slowly, properly open my eyes, and as they focused, what was revealed to me would make my hair stand on end. There in the corner of my room, sitting in my chair, was a soldier smiling at me, who would then continue cleaning a rifle and sharpening a bayonet. Naturally, I screamed the house down for the first couple of times, but after that, I wasn't scared. So I tried talking to the soldier, who just looked at me benignly, smiled, and faded to nothing. 
This happened for a couple of years. Then the house was modernized by the housing association and the soldier never returned. But on occasions, the room would go icy, icy cold and I would smell pipe smoke. Experience 2 I was 15 and five years previously my parents had converted to the Jehovah Witness faith. At this time, my mum and her friend, also a Jehovah Witness, conducted a Bible study group at another woman's house. During the study, the woman who owned the house told us she had been having issues with spirits bothering her, moving objects and such like. I remember trying not to giggle, thinking it was all quite nuts. So my mum was asking her about the experiences, and the woman told us all in great detail. But then, all of a sudden, the Bible rose in the air and stuck to her face. We all gasped, and of course the poor woman started screaming and seemed to be having a panic attack. My mum's other friends started shouting Jehovah's name and commanded the demon to leave. I was just sitting there watching, wondering what was happening. Then the Bible dropped to the floor, and I saw all the ornaments move on a bureau in the corner of the room. My mum checked I was okay, and we left the house, with me being instructed that we would never, ever mention the incident again. Yet the story gets stranger. I quit religion when I was 18, as it wasn't for me. And so years later, I was working as an antique furniture restorer and got an apprentice to train. After chatting and getting to know the new fella, it turned out he lived three houses down from the woman where the Bible study group was. I mentioned nothing of the incident, but said that I knew of the area and the street. The lad then started telling me about a lady who lived near him who used to scream lots and lights in her house would turn on and off during the day and night. Neighbours would often call the police as they heard smashing crockery and glasses. Experience 3 I took my partner to Winterton Roundhouses on the Winterton coast for a birthday surprise. We were booked for one night and drove to the house. After arriving, we got the key from reception and let ourselves in. It was warm, cosy with a lovely view out to sea from the bedroom at the back of the house. We had some food, a glass of wine and cuddled on the sofa watching a movie. We went to bed at around midnight. At around 2am, my partner started freaking out saying that something was at the back of the building near the bedroom window. I jumped out of bed, pulled the curtain back to look and my partner went crazy, shrieking, Look out! It'll get you! I was shocked, yet there was nothing there. But she was shaking and a wreck. I asked what she could see, and my partner said it was an entity that felt primal. Calming her down, we agreed to pack and leave for home. We stuffed things in a bag. I brought the car to the front of the house and had to walk my partner to the car as if escorting her checking behind us every few steps. She got in the car and locked the doors. I locked the roundhouse and noticed a sudden drop in temperature. It was a hot summer night and a feeling of being watched from around the side of the building. My neck hairs raised. I felt my senses heighten yet I calmed myself 
ran to reception about four metres away and posted the keys in a drop box. As I stood up and turned around, I looked back at the roundhouse. I couldn't see anyone, so I ran to the car, unlocked, took one last glance and saw nothing. We drove away with my partner constantly checking behind us whilst crying. When we were about 30 minutes away, I quizzed my partner what was going on. I knew she was gifted with being able to see spirits and has a family history of seeing ghosts, etc. She explained whatever the entity was, it was outside that bedroom, and it wanted to harm us. It felt like a predatory primal force, no image as such, just a feeling of hate, anger and hurt. After we arrived home, my partner slept for 15 hours straight. I checked on her regularly, and she was fine. No temperature or screaming, just restful sleep. We have never spoken about this event, but my partner told me she's had terrible paranormal experiences near that area when she was in her 20s and 30s when friends arranged camping trips there. Hope you find these experiences interesting. Kind regards, Simon Aspinall. I asked Simon about his other paranormal experiences and he didn't disappoint. Simon continues. Unfortunate accident. I was living on my own and on a Friday once a month a couple of mates would come over for drinks and a takeaway before heading to the local. So one Friday evening... I was waiting to collect our takeaway order when there was a screech of tyres and a crash. I looked outside and saw a car had crashed into a wall. Another guy and I ran outside to offer assistance. The car was driven by a man roughly in his mid-forties with a woman in the back and a younger woman in her twenties seated in the passenger seat. After asking if everyone was okay, the younger woman was fine but the older woman was unconscious, as was the fella. I called 999 and tried to help the woman. She was breathing and I could feel a pulse. I spoke to her and she opened her eyes and started to respond. I sat with her, holding her hand until the ambulance arrived. Soon the emergency services arrived. We gave statements to the police. I picked up my cold takeaway and went home. The next morning, I was having breakfast with the lads at a local cafe, just a short distance from the takeaway and the previous night's accident. Nursing our hangovers, we ate our breakfasts and asked for the bill. After we settled up, the cafe owner said to me, Did the man come and see you? I asked, What man? And he replied that a guy in his mid-forties, dressed nicely, said he wanted to thank you for being kind and for helping his family last night. I had no clue what was going on. My friend said, It's the guy from last night in the accident. They finally come back to the scene to see you. We left the cafe to walk to my house. We passed the crash site and I thought about the family. Later that evening on the local news, the accident was mentioned, stating the reason for the accident the father had a heart attack and died later in a hospital on Saturday morning with his family by his side. 
I must add, after the events of the accident, I paid for counselling as the thought of a ghost looking for me freaked me out. Hospital Experience Back in 2016, I was fortunate to receive a life-changing organ transplant. The surgery went well and after some minor issues, I was discharged. For a short period after, I attended a specialist unit with my local hospital three times a week for a blood test and checkup. Whilst waiting for my one result one evening, I saw a doctor who had treated me for years and was considered a family friend pass by the room I was waiting in. I said hi, and he stopped, popped in and congratulated me on my transplant and patted me on the shoulder and said, must run. I need to catch up with another patient in the blue room. I said goodbye, and as he left the room, he turned and said, You deserve that transplant after the hell you've been through. Then left. About one hour later, the nurse came back and discussed my result. She said I had made amazing progress and only needed monthly blood tests. I was so happy and relieved. Then her demeanour changed, and she asked if I knew a certain doctor. Realising who she was talking about, I said, Yes, of course, he's a close family friend. I saw him earlier, actually, in the waiting room. The nurse replied, Well, unfortunately, that's not possible. I'm sorry to say that he died in his sleep this afternoon at home. I was medicated, but was working and driving. I wasn't seeing things. After this, I went round to the treatment area I had attended for 12 years and saw my two friends who received their treatment at the same time. They were on the transplant waiting list. I mentioned I had seen the doctor in question, and they nodded yes, and that he had walked through the doors of this very room. In fact, he said, Hello. Don't give up. Your time will be very soon. And hugged them both. I couldn't believe it. We had all seen him. We were certain of it. What's more, to make things even stranger, both individuals got called for transplants within hours of each other two weeks later. Sadly, a terrible road traffic collision had occurred with multiple fatalities. As a result of this awful tragedy, both friends had their transplants and now have full active lives again. At least something positive came out of something very tragic. I understand these encounters with the doctor as him taking one last check of his patients before the afterlife, safe in the knowledge that everything is okay, so he was free to move on. Hope you enjoy these accounts of my experiences. Simon And now on to Helen with her thoughts on her psychic ability and the frightening fleeting moments and glimpses of the paranormal she has experienced. Growing up, I have had spirits follow me. There is a photo of me as a baby with a lady behind me in the then family home. In the home I grew up in, which is a few doors away, it was not a happy home. Arguments and physical abuse, which you may say could have contributed to my experiences there. I'll let you decide. I have heard my name there. Doors opening, smells, things disappearing. 
I cannot tell you the number of times I slept on my parents' floor due to the occurrences in my room. One night, though, I saw a boy. I remember it to this day. He jumped back and forth from behind my bedroom door. Bathed in moonlight, he just kept waving at me. Absolutely terrified, I screamed for my dad. The one event that will stick with me until the day I die is this. It was early evening. I was about 18 or so watching TV. Our living room is long, so the two bedrooms, my bedroom and the spare bedroom, run parallel across the top. Suddenly there was an enormous bang, so big in fact that the ceiling light shook. Immediately, I thought burglars. So I sat there terrified thinking, I'm not going out of this living room. They can just come and find me. So, I waited. And nothing. I couldn't climb out of the windows as they were locked. I knew I had to find out what was going on. So I opened the living room door, sneaked around, slammed doors and opened them, etc. And nothing. I thought maybe a painting had fallen or my guitar but nothing. I even jumped to recreate the bang, but I wasn't heavy enough. When my parents returned home, I told them, and they brushed it off as usual, as this type of thing seemed to happen when I was alone. At the time, I decided to record my room, as it always felt like someone was watching me. The sounds I recorded sounded like old latches being pushed down to open a door and things being moved and replaced like when you are dusting. I believe I have some ability, though I often avoid mentioning it, as I'm wary of people's reactions. For example, my dog died many years ago, and at times I feel him with me. I have told no one about this. But I used to work in a bank, and one day a lady came up to me and said, there's a white dog by you. I denied knowing what she was talking about, but of course, I knew it was my dog. I've been to the vaults in Edinburgh and got pushed. And one more thing, and this is even weirder. I had a word in my mouth and couldn't stop saying it. Tupelo. It's not a normal word. Anyway, a few days later, there was a plane crash on TV and that was the name of the plane. What is that about? Sadly, I'm not psychic enough for the lottery numbers. Sometimes I know things. Sometimes I hear things like what people are thinking. Perhaps I'm just very intuitive, but I do not believe I am outright psychic as such. I wonder about that house, and would love to know if the people that live there now have experienced anything. There are more events, but I won't bore you with them. However, growing up, I've always felt protected, or at least not alone. Helen Thank you, Helen, for sharing these difficult and what must have been very frightening experiences with the show. And now we move on to Peter's story. Take a deep breath for this one 
as we enter a household where most people want to exit quite quickly. Hello. I hope this email finds you well and just wanted to say that although I'm new to your podcast, I absolutely love it and can't wait to get through all of the episodes. Knowing that you read listener stories, I thought you might be interested in events that took place a few years ago in an East Midlands city. In 2009, a friend and I decided to rent a place together, as we were both about to turn 25 and living with our parents. We were both pretty low on funds, so we ended up opting for a Victorian terrace near the city centre. The house, whilst ideally located for bars and shops, was pretty run down in many ways with its tarnished huge rooms and dark, dank cellar. I was always interested in the supernatural as a child, but grew sceptical the older that I got. On the night we moved in, our parents were there helping us with our belongings. My dad, who had never spoken about ghosts before, or at least never gave me the impression that he believed in them, came out of a bedroom, which was to become my friend's room. Looking perplexed, serious and quite grave, he told me that he'd been looking out of the window at the back garden and could clearly see someone stood behind him in the reflection of the window. He said he turned to find nobody there and the rest of us were downstairs at the time. I was taken aback at how serious my dad was about it and he isn't the type to make something up like that. The first strange thing I can remember experiencing was on the first night I slept there. I was in bed at night, I'd just turned the light off and was about to go to sleep. Almost instantly after the light went off, I could hear very clearly the sound of furniture being moved around in the empty room below. It sounded like there was more than one person making the noise. I was petrified as I knew my friend was in bed and there should have been nobody else in the house. We knew the neighbour through a mutual friend. He was a single male, and when I asked him about the noise the next day, he said he was in bed at a time before me. The house the other side was empty at the time. The noise continued until I eventually fell asleep. There were two sitting rooms in the house, one in the middle between the entrance hall and the kitchen, and one at the front. The middle room had a TV aerial port, so we put the sofas and settees in there. That room was eerie. I can remember the first Saturday night I lived there, feeling very uneasy watching television whilst alone, like there was a presence with me. My friend and I both booked a week off work for the first week we lived there, to settle in and buy some stuff to decorate it. We were getting ready to walk into town one afternoon and my friend nipped to the toilet before we left. I sat in an armchair that was in the corner of that unsettling middle room. This old armchair came with the house. Sitting down, I gasped in shock and horror as the chair was soaking wet through. It was as wet as if it had been dragged out of a river. My friend and I were completely baffled. There was no sign of a leak above, and neither of us had poured water over it. We left for the shops, more than unnerved and returned within the hour, 
To our surprise, the chair was now completely bone dry, as if it had never been wet in the first place. In the weeks following this, a few other strange things occurred. On many occasions, our keys, wallets or mobile phones would disappear. Mine was never far away from my hand normally. I'd look all over for ages with no success, but just as I would give up all hope, my phone would turn up balanced precariously on a step on the stairs. A really obvious place that you couldn't have missed, if it had been there all along. The cellar was an absolute no-go zone for us. Occasionally, we would put junk down there which we wanted out of the way, but there was a very intense atmosphere down there. Personally, I could only last a few minutes down there before wanting to make a hasty exit. It was a large, cold cellar with many uninviting dark corners. It always felt like something or someone was lurking. The smoke alarm, which was in that eerie middle room, used to randomly go off at all hours of the day, with no sign of smoke to set it off. In one particularly scary incident, I can remember my friend and I were in our separate rooms relaxing one evening. Rather stupidly, we had taken the battery out of the alarm earlier in the day to stop its random alarms. Sure enough, that evening, we both heard the sound of the batteryless alarms sounding off. We met on the landing and went downstairs together to investigate. When we got to the middle room, it stopped and we found the alarm on the table with the battery next to it. Eventually, we got a company to come out to fit an aerial in the front room. It had a much better atmosphere in there and I felt comfortable on my own at night. However, whenever I went into the kitchen, landing, stairs, or that middle room, I still felt an uneasiness, as did my friend. We seemed to get used to this and the house soon turned into a place for social gatherings at the weekends with our other friends. When our landlady came round for our 12-month inspection, we told her about the strange occurrences in the house. She told us that she had never lived in the house and she had bought it around 10 years previously to rent out. She said that the house had been empty for a while when she purchased it it had apparently been used as a brothel and a drugs den for many years. She told us that the walls were painted black in some rooms when she got it and there were scorch marks in places where people had lit fires. We'd forgotten about past events and got on with life in there, but things seemed to step up when my friend's girlfriend partially moved in. She started saying that she could hear knocking on the walls at night and that she'd woken in the night to feeling someone was stood at the end of their bed on more than one occasion. Then, there was the night I was woken up. I was fast asleep in my bed when I felt myself wake up suddenly and sit up. As I did, I saw very clearly one of my CDs fly across the room and hit the wall, as if it had been thrown with some force. I was definitely alone in the room at the time. Frozen with fear, I couldn't believe my eyes. I decided to grab my phone and document what I'd just experienced in the form of a Facebook status 
just to prove to myself that it wasn't a dream. A status that crops up every year on my Facebook memories to this date. In another incident, I was stood at the back door in the kitchen smoking a cigarette. Behind me, I could hear the sound of movement towards the front of the house. I assumed it was my housemate coming home, but as the movement grew closer, it stopped. I felt like somebody was at the opposite end of the kitchen to me, but there was nobody there. For some reason, I felt brave and wasn't in the mood to be spooked. I shouted, hello, and then around 10 seconds later, the kettle flicked on by itself and started boiling. Instinctively, I replied in a commanding manner, turn it off, and almost immediately, it stopped. I was not in a happy place at that time, and for some reason, this incident didn't scare me. I guess this is all leading up to an event which disturbed me the most, when I had an old friend over for a catch-up one evening. My housemate was staying at his girlfriend's parents, so it was just me and my friend. We'd been sitting there listening to music and chatting in the front room. Note, not that middle eerie room. I got up to go to the kitchen to make a drink and my friend stayed in the front room. Whilst in the kitchen, I could hear him talking in what sounded like the hallway at the bottom of the stairs. I came through and he was leaning on the banister talking up towards the top of the stairs. As he turned and saw me stood at the door of the middle room, he turned completely ashen. I asked him if he was okay and he struggled to get his words out. He told me that he'd clearly heard footsteps come towards the room and then up the stairs. The front room wall was next to the stairs. He said he went out of the room to ask me something and saw what he presumed was me go around the corner at the top of the stairs. I didn't see anything myself that night, but the look on my friend's face when he realised it wasn't me going up the stairs is the scariest thing I've ever seen in that house. It still sends shivers down my spine. Shortly after this, I met my girlfriend who is now my wife. We moved into a property together six months after meeting. She is a complete non-believer to this day, but always stands by that the house had a very uneasy atmosphere that she couldn't explain. Once I left her in the house, while I went to work, my housemate was also out. She said that she had the feeling that somebody else was in the house watching her every move and couldn't last longer than an hour in there alone. We've since lived in various houses together and never experienced anything. We bought a Victorian house two years ago and I anticipated a similar atmosphere to the old one I shared with my friend, given the age. But thankfully, it's a happy, welcoming family home. I hope that my story is of interest to you. I have had other experiences in my younger years, but feel they could be explained as a vivid imagination. The events that happened in this house was over a two and a half year period and were experienced by multiple people, and I have no explanation. Keep up the great work. This podcast has reignited my childhood interest in the supernatural and jogged my memories from the spooky goings-on at that house I shared with my friend. Kind regards, Peter Connor.
Our next story covers a very unsettling and upsetting moment for our listener, who wishes to remain anonymous. Hi. Thank you for continuing to upload your podcasts and for inviting your listeners to send in their experiences. My experience happened about 30 years ago. My story is a simple one, but I hope it's of some interest. You can make your own mind up as to whether my experience was genuinely supernatural or a case of an overactive imagination. I know what I experienced. My story starts with the death of my grandfather in the late 90s. His death was a peaceful one. He had accepted his end and passed away in hospital. My grandma and mother had visited him in hospital that day and knowing he did not have long, said his goodbyes. My grandparents lived just under 10 miles away from us, my mum and me, on the 16th floor of a block of flats. I will need to describe the layout of the flat to set the scene. You enter the flat into a small, narrow and dark hallway. It turns right at the end and opens into a foyer space where the bedrooms, bathroom, kitchen and living room lead off. My granddad was not a particularly good man and abused all three of his children and his grandchildren, so being alone with him was not the happy time it should have been. I didn't look forward to visiting, so was unashamedly relieved when he passed away. Any sorrow I felt was for my grandma's loss. Fast forward several weeks later, I was picking up my grandma and sitting in the car about to set off from her flat when she commented that she could not remember if she'd locked the front door. Being the dutiful granddaughter, I took her key and said I would go up and check the door was locked. I re-entered the block of flats and rode to the 16th floor. Trying the handle, it was indeed locked. I thought I would check the flat and make sure the lights were off, plugs turned off, etc. I turned the key to unlock the door, pulled down the handle and started to open the door. Immediately, I was frozen to the spot with a fear that was so paralyzing, it was like hitting a brick wall and seemed an eternity before I could breathe or move. Such was the feeling of dread. I had no doubt that if I opened the door, I would see my grandfather stood at the end of the hall waiting for me. I could see him in my mind's eye. I didn't have to open the door to know that he was there. I slammed the door, locked it, and bolted. Without looking back, I flew down the fire escape steps and didn't stop until I reached the 10th floor. I re-entered the lift foyer and pressed for the lift, and to my relief, it came from the ground floor. Reaching my car, I was a little calmer and more composed. Telling my grandma all was well, we set off for home. This experience has stayed with me for the last 30 plus years. At the time this event took place, I was in my early 20s, headstrong with a level of confidence. Until that point, I hadn't really given the supernatural a great deal of thought, and like anybody else, I liked a good ghost story. But that's all it was to me. A story. Kind regards. This sounds like such a visceral, frightening moment. Again, 
Thank you so much for sharing with the show. And now we hear Sharon's strange tale from her childhood. Sharon writes, Hi Steve, I just wanted to share my story with you for your podcast. My name is Sharon, and a long time ago when I was a little girl, I think my parents said that I was three at the time. I said to my mum and dad that a beautiful lady would come and sit on the end of my bed at night and read me a story to help me sleep. My parents said that near enough every day, I would say the same thing. Now, we had a dog at the time who would often go into my bedroom, and one day when my dad was in my room, he said that our dog, Butte, had gone into my room following him. Butte then stopped dead in the middle of the room, and then bolted back down the stairs. When my dad found her, she was shaking in the corner of the living room, Something had really scared her. He said that she seemed petrified. Sadly, Butte never went in my room after that day. Eventually, after some months, I stopped talking about the lady. Some years later, I went to my mum and dad and said, Mum, Dad, that lady is back. My parents were total sceptics and they always said that everything had a logical explanation. But my dad said he could feel the hairs on the back of his neck stand on end when I mentioned the lady again. He said there was no logical explanation that he could think of. I remember absolutely nothing of this. Maybe just a child's overactive imagination, but it was strange that our dog reacted the way she did. Keep up the great work. I love listening to all the stories. All the best. Sharon. Now, folks, it's time for the grand finale of this episode. Press pause. Make yourself a cup of cocoa. Get comfortable, because this story is such an unusual and interesting one. It'll make you ponder and wonder about the journey of the soul. This is The Protector. Hi Steve, I found your podcast recently and have been binge listening on my night dog walks. There is something creepy and peaceful about walking through the jungle paths with the dogs in the middle of the night, listening to ghost stories. I felt I could share this with you and the listeners if you see fit. This is not something I have shared with many as it seems to be quite unbelievable and has been dismissed when sharing it previously. It's important to have a little backstory for this to make sense, so bear with me before we get into the meat of these experiences. As an infant, I was very unwell. As a result, I spent much of my early life at Great Ormond Street Hospital in London. My lungs collapsed, and I required an emergency tracheostomy and multiple surgeries. A number of times, my heart stopped for minutes at a time. In one particular incident, I was rushed into emergency surgery. My poor mother asked the surgeon if I would survive. As the surgeon took me from my mother, he said, put her son into my hands and into the hands of fate. During this surgery, I was about to be pronounced dead before the doctors managed to resuscitate me. On recovery, I grew healthy and strong. 
Being raised in Ayrshire, Scotland, there was no lack of haunted places and experiences had by many. However, I only ever sensed these strange feelings, so to speak, upon entering these areas. And then they would quickly vanish. So let's fast forward to the beginning of my travels. I was very fortunate that post-university I landed a job which has me travelling all over the world, meeting many different cultures and people. And so, the strange events started to become more apparent. On a job on the island of Songo Songo, Tanzania, I was having a drink in a local tribal village with some of the guys I was working with. An old man I could only describe as a witch doctor approached us. Sitting down beside me, he placed a hand on my shoulder. Immediately, he closed his eyes and took a deep breath and smiled widely. You are protector, he said to me, looking at me steadily. He then left, promptly returning with a young boy and his young mother, who were guided by him to sit beside me. I asked one of the local guys what was happening. Upon inquiry, the old man apparently said that I had been to the spirit world and I am a safe person for those tormented. I didn't think much of this, just an odd interaction. But when I went to leave later that night, the young boy hugged my arm and didn't want me to leave. The old man spoke to him and looking very sad, he let me go and I left. This was the first of situations like this. In Iran, I was sitting in the hotel lobby waiting to be picked up. An imam approached me and asked if he could sit with me. I love learning about new cultures and religions, so of course I agreed. After talking with me for around 15 minutes, he looked me dead in the eye and said, Shukran, you keep those around you safe. I feel at peace sitting with you. I asked what he meant and he followed up by explaining that because I had passed and returned, ill-intentioned spirits cannot affect those with me. This one freaked me out a little. He had no way of knowing my history. I was wearing a high-collared top which covered the scar on my neck, and I certainly hadn't told him. Singapore. Outside a Buddhist temple, a monk walked up and hugged me tight held my face, looked deep into my eyes and said, You give peace to those disturbed by the other side. Thank you for coming back. As this was the third time I had been told something like this, I was a little more freaked out. And so it continued. I had a similar encounter with a Catholic priest when I was interviewed before marrying my wife. He simply said, it's rare to meet someone who protects the fearful without even knowing it. At this time, I explained my past encounters to him, and he shared that although we don't fully understand it, some people are gifted with the ability to protect after dying and coming back. There have been a number of occasions that I could see this potentially being the case, some less impactful. Edinburgh Ghost Tours... I ended up with two strangers hanging off my arms as they seemingly weren't scared when they were touching me. And camping, where people we had just met would sit close to me because it made them feel safer and calm in the dark. 
and others more impactful, like the young boy in Tanzania and the imam in Iran. As freaky as all of this is, I didn't think too much about it. This was until I was doing a job in Kurdistan, Iraq. I was staying in a temporary housing, basically a camp of converted shipping containers placed in the mountains. Late one night, I was half asleep and heard raised voices just outside. Irritated, I was thinking it was some of the security team. I got out of bed, threw on some kit and stepped outside. I was all set to tell them off for waking me, but no one was there. Heading back inside, I felt a cold shiver and turned abruptly to, well, nothing. The room had become a lot colder, which I chalked up to the fact that I had opened the door in the mountain air. I locked the door and went back to bed. This is where I become unsure of whether I was awake or asleep. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a little girl sitting on the floor in my room. I turned and saw that she was local, wearing traditional dress and looking quite tired. I asked what she was doing here and if I could help her, giving her a small pack of biscuits I had taken from the hotel on the way to the camp as an offering. She kept repeating, Emin, Emin, and then she would keep talking, eating the biscuits. I remember so clearly formulating a plan of calling security on the radio for a parameter check and to have her taken somewhere secure. But I never did that. Instead, the next thing I remember is waking up in the morning. I assumed it was just a dream. However, there was a biscuit wrapper on the floor and I had clearly dumped my kit back down after coming back in from checking on the voices. At breakfast, I shared this experience with one of the local contractors who I'd been getting on very well with. He shared that there was a small farm where the family had been killed by raiders, one of whom was a young girl, and that Emin was Kurdish for safe. I don't know exactly what to believe with all of this, and you can see why it isn't something I share too often with people. The experience in Kurdistan happened 13 years ago and I have since made big changes in my life. I am a husband, a father and a canine behavioural specialist and trainer living in Singapore. I have not had an experience like that in a while, but now and again, I feel a shiver and turn and it takes me a moment to feel warm and feel comfortable once again. Looking forward to many more episodes of Haunted UK. Cheers, Fraser Noble. And that, I'm afraid, is the end of this week's listeners' stories. I think you'll all agree that these stories are all quite astonishing and at times thought-provoking. And if you have any thoughts, theories or similar experiences to any of these stories, then we would love to hear from you. Let us know on Twitter at Haunted UK Pod. Include the hashtag Haunted UK Podcast and we could start a conversation going. Alternatively, let us know on Instagram at Haunted UK Podcast. Drop us a message or even a voice note. We love hearing your stories and opinions. 
a massive thank you to everyone who has kindly shared their experiences in this episode. It's hugely appreciated, and I'm tremendously grateful. Alas, this is the penultimate collection of this season's listener stories, but we still have one more collection to go, and they're definitely worth waiting for. In the meantime, be careful the next time you visit a seemingly ordinary Victorian terrace. You dash upstairs, meander into a room, glimpse out of the window, and you see something. You think it's the outline of a figure, but you're not quite sure. You look carefully, but you realise, in that dark space of the window, that it's only you staring back. You breathe a sigh of relief, and you wonder what kind of soul you are. A protector? or a soul who needs protecting. Suddenly it dawns on you that the next person to feature in a listener story could be you. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK Podcast. But before I go, I'd like to ask a favour from all of you amazing listeners out there. The show's end-of-season finale revolves around the experiences and stories from listeners just like you. So if you've had an encounter with any element of the paranormal and you'd like to share your story, then I'd love to tell it for you on the Listener Stories finale episodes. Simply type up your story and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. And in the subject section of your email, title it Listener Story, so it's easier for me to find. All stories are treated with the utmost respect and privacy, and if you wish to remain anonymous, then that's no problem at all. This podcast is recorded, mixed and mastered at Pink Flamingo Home Studios in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. If you'd like to know more about the studio or have any questions, then please get in touch via email at pinkflamingo.homestudio at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.homestudio at hotmail.com. Or why not follow the studio on Instagram at pinkflamingohomestudio. For a list of all research sources which we found helpful for the writing of this episode, please see the show's notes. Thank you again for listening to and supporting the Haunted UK podcast. So until the next episode, stay safe and take care. But before you go, why not check out the following great podcast? Persons Unknown is a true crime podcast dedicated to unsolved murders and disappearances. My name is John. I'm based in Wales and cover cases from Wales, the rest of the UK and the wider world. Each episode tells the story of a cold case, from the original timeline right through to recent developments. The content is based on thorough research, and all the evidence is presented in a clear and engaging way. There's no banter, but a respectful narration of what happened and any theories. A new episode is released every other Monday, with occasional bonus episodes. There are already plenty of episodes to binge, Find Persons Unknown wherever you listen to podcasts.